The following podcast is a presentation of Liberty Christian Fellowship, loving God and loving people in a hurting world. For more information about our church, visit us online at libertyobx.com. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter and Instagram for updates and encouragement. We hope this message inspires you and blesses you. Now prepare your hearts to hear a powerful word from God. God bless. All right, good morning, beautiful people. Yeah, hallelujah. Well, listen, I brought me some water up here, not because I like to be rude and drink in front of you guys, but I've been, something's been trying to attack my body, and my sister reminded me that I was healed by his stripes on the cross, so I lay hold of it, and you guys can pray for the manifestation of it real quick. All righty, I received the healing, but I want it manifested. Thank you very much. You are a fine-looking group. This is um, a day where we've really been blessed to have a group of people visiting with us from Nashville, uh, United Methodist Church. They come down once a year and do their leadership <clears throat> weekend and retreat over here at Camp Emanuel. And uh, I've had the privilege of being in the back with them. They've been in the youth room, and uh, I've had the privilege of being there with them. And to be blessed by their praise team. Uh, they brought a praise, to them, praise team with them that's just awesome, and uh, they are an amazing group of people. And as I was telling them last night, that their presence as they sow praise into the walls back there, that they're really blessing our young people, that they're leaving a deposit there that's going to touch and minister life to our young people. Same thing happens in here. Uh, there are praises that have been sown into the walls of this house. And every time you come and join in with those praises, you really are leaving a deposit for those who are to come after you. So thank you for participating in the worship this morning, celebrating life with us. I've got an interesting opportunity today, which is to share a message with you when I have no idea where it's going. Uh, there are times when that's really not unusual for me, uh, but I've been blessed. I've been back through the book that Scott wrote, a little, little book that he wrote about a more excellent way. I've been back through that book about four times, and uh, part of it has really captured my heart. And I want to share, some of what I want to share with you comes out of that book and some of it, however, just comes out of what God's doing in my life. Um, the passage of Scripture that we're going to be looking at today is out of 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, there, we're not going to look at the whole chapter, but certain portions of it. Uh, I think that God has called us as his people to love and to love well. And also, in loving well, we need to learn to love wisely. And sometimes that's difficult because we have a tendency to equate loving uh, with some emotional kind of expression that dictates our responses and our behavior. When in truth, we are to learn how to love from the love that's deposited in us by the Holy Spirit. That our Father is love, that's His nature. And the, the Scripture tells us that the Holy Spirit sheds abroad that love in our hearts. And what that really means is 
that once we come into a relationship with Jesus, we have no excuse in terms of not loving folks. But how we love needs to be consistent with the love with which we have been loved. That's a word that Jesus left with his disciples when he was talking with them about what they would be doing, how they would be doing it, and so on. Passage of Scripture that comes out of John 15 is simply this. I'm going to give you a new commandment. Now, I'm not going to do away with the old commandment that you love the Lord your God with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself, but I'm going to give you a new one. I want you to love one another like you have been loved. The Scripture there also tells us that the world out here, it's going to know us by our love for one another, and through that, they're going to know Him as they watch us in our love walk. Now, in our world today, this whole concept of love and love walk has been distorted because while we know that God is love, everything that we call love is not God. We understand that, right? And some folks want to get into this thing that I'm loving you. It's a godly thing. Well, that depends on the nature of the love with which you are loving me. But God is love, that's his nature, and it's his love that radically transforms our lives. And we're called to be a people who love. I remember some years ago when I was pastoring the church in Jacksonville, I had an associate pastor. Uh, he would not be offended if I told you he was just a little bit weird. Uh, he had a tendency to go off the rails in terms of how he did ministry and when he did ministry. I can remember one time I had taken my car in uh, to, a, uh, to a garage and had asked him to pick me up on the way to the office. So I get my, my car in there about 7.30 or 8 o'clock in the morning. 11 o'clock, I'm still sitting around waiting for Alan. And the problem that we had was that when he left his home, he was on the way to pick me up, but then the Lord spoke to him about a woman that needed a refrigerator. So he went by her house to see what size refrigerator he needed to get to fit into her kitchen. So by the time that he decides and by the time he's located somebody to get a refrigerator for her, he remembers, oh, I'm supposed to pick John up this morning over at the car place. He's that way. I can remember another occasion. We were looking for a new location for the church. And I had gone out, and he had gone with me to speak to some folks that, that had the property, and we were talking about and negotiating on a lease. I looked for Alan. I looked around. I couldn't find him. And then we were finished with the conversation and negotiations. I still couldn't find Alan. So I went out into the parking lot and started looking for where he had gone, couldn't find him. I walked over to the side next to the highway, and down there in a culvert, Alan was sitting down there hugging on this guy who was homeless and quite inebriated. He was not at all concerned about what I was doing or about a building where we would have church. He's just driven to be church wherever he goes. The thing that I wanted to share with you this morning about Alan was that he was all the time going into trailer parks there in Jacksonville and doing what he could do to minister in whatever way he could. 
And there was this young lady that he had been ministering to. She was Jewish, and she was a topless dancer. And she often in the summer would make sure she could sun herself so that she would be tanned. Now, Alan didn't visit while she's tanning, you understand? <laughs> but as he ministered to her, she found out she was a young lady who was separated from her family and had not been really reconciled in a long, long time. Uh, but she loved her family, but just didn't feel like she could be accepted by her family. And as Alan tried to minister to her, so many times he wanted to say to her, you got to get a new profession. But every time he tried to talk to her about her behavior, the Lord checked him and said, you love her, I'll change her. You love her, I'll change her. Now, for some folks, people will say, that's just a Christian cop-out. Well, no. Alan was loving her with the love with which he had been loved, and it wasn't that he didn't want her life to change. He just knew that he wasn't the one that could change her heart. But that if he could love her well then the Holy Spirit could change her life. Doesn't mean he accepted what she was doing as good or okay. It just meant that he wasn't the one to deal with that. And on one occasion, he wanted me to go with him while he took some food to this family that was in the same trailer park as this young lady. So I'm riding out there with Alan. He's got food for this lady that has four or five kids, and there's no husband in the house. And she's raising these kids, doing whatever she could to make money and get, and get enough to feed them. So we go, as we're going, driving through the trailer park, here's this young lady laying out here in the middle of the day getting a suntan, Right? So we drive on by, and like good spiritual men, neither one of us looked, except we just know that's where she is. You understand what I'm saying? So we drive on by, and we go down to this trailer where this lady is with her kids. And Alan goes up, knocks on the door, and tells her, you know, we're here, got some food. And so she invites us in. So we're standing in the trailer having given food, and we're getting ready to have prayer with this lady and her family when there was a knock on the door. And as she went to the door and opened it, it was this same young lady that had been laying out sun in herself. And she had gone into the house or her trailer and put clothes on, and she came to find Alan. And when the lady opened the door to let her in, she said this. She said, I want to see the pastor that loves me. <clears throat> and fell on her knees right there in the trailer and embraced Jesus as her Lord and Savior. Radically changed. Radically changed. Now, it took a period of time for her to come out of her profession and get a different lifestyle. But she was radically changed from that moment when she embraced Jesus in her heart. And it really was simply because Alan had loved her well. He had loved her well. Part of my frustration, I think, as a pastor, is we have a tendency to love well 
with people out here who are broken and hurting. And where we struggle to love well is in the house. Because we have a tendency sometimes to have expectations of people that are part of our body and say they ought to know better. Well, the truth is they ought to. But we also need to remember that we didn't save them and we can't fix them. But we can love them with his love. I know at some point in time I've told you about Alan Levi who was one of my favorite musician and, and lyricist, writes funny stuff. He got a dog named Tyler, and Tyler's always giving him lyrics for songs. And on one of the, in one of the albums, he's got a song uh, that's entitled, um, I'd rather be uh, a rich man's, uh, I'd rather be a poor man's dog, I'd rather be a rich man's dog than a dude like you. And in that, he simply says, you humans have got some work to do on your human stuff. Sometimes when I read passages in the book about the command of Jesus to love the way he's loved us, I so want to bring it into the house where we adjust our expectations of one another and where we learn to love each other well inside the house and not bring judgment and not be so quick to take offense if something doesn't go the way we would like it to go. So what I'm going to do this morning is walk through some of this scripture here in 1 Corinthians 13 and remind you of some other passages of scripture and leave you, and leave you really with a challenge. Not only are we sent into the world to love those that Jesus died for, but we are brought together as family, as the family of God and mandated to love one another the way he has loved us. You all right? I knew you'd be excited about this at eight something in the morning, right? Hey, listen, how well we do this has everything to do with how well we do it out there. Because people on the outside are looking in the inside to see how we're treating one another. Because that tells them how we'll treat them once they come on the inside. Does that make sense to you? It does, doesn't it? Okay, here we go. 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love... I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can remove mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. 
It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. And where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when perfection or completeness comes, what is in part disappears. And when I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put away the ways of childhood and put them behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, and then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. You know, I would challenge you as people who are part of the family that you'll take time periodically to go back and reread that passage and meditate on that passage and really see what your life looks like, not in the eyes of people around you, but what your life looks like before your father. And, and I have said to folks over the years, I don't live my life to please people. I'm not living my life to displease people. I'm not really trying to irritate half the people I run into. But really, I'm just concerned about pleasing my father. Why? Because I know my daddy loves me best, and he loves me well. And if I walk in a way that pleases him, it really doesn't matter what other folks are thinking about me. But what I've discovered is, if I will please him, then I will find myself loving others well. Does that make sense to you? Hello. Nod your head. I know it's early. Uh huh. Right? It does, doesn't it? Makes sense. Our issue, however, is that we live in a world where love is defined in so many different ways. And many of us, though we've been born again, and in a sense, delivered from our bondage to this flesh, we still have to live in this thing. And in the world out here, the world gets its energy from working with the flesh. When in truth, the kingdom of God is designed so that you and I can be in the world, but not of the world, so that we will love differently than the way the world loves. In the world out here, you love me if you like me. I can tell you, there are a lot of folk I don't like, but I love them. What that simply means is I have a commitment to them that gets beyond what they understand. When folks will say, if you really love me, you will accept me and accept my lifestyle. Now, I will accept you and love you, but your lifestyle's out of the pit of hell, so no thank you, I'm not going to accept that. But to tell me I don't love you is in error and in the hands of the enemy of your soul and mine, he will destroy you with that kind of thinking. 
My daddy does like me, but he doesn't love me because he likes me. He loves me because he can't help it. It's just his nature to love. He loved you and he loved me before we ever did anything good or before we ever did anything bad. As he shaped you or me in our mother's womb, he loved us then. When you pop out of that womb and you go a little bit nuts and do weird stuff and some of it not really good, he still loves you just the same. May not like what you're doing, but loves you just the same. Now that's the kind of love that we're talking about here in 1 Corinthians 13. That's the kind of love that reflects the nature of the Father, whose nature now lives in us as our Father's children, so that His love lives on the inside of us now, shed abroad in us by the power of the Holy Spirit, so that when you and I have relationships within the family of God, we have absolutely no excuse for not loving one another. You all right? Do we understand that? If we understand that, then we will not give the enemy the opportunity to continue to give us the bait of Satan where we pick up offenses with one another because somebody does something that we don't particularly care for or somebody does something that we think is dissing us when the truth of the matter is, scripturally, we don't even have a right to take offense. Is that not cool? Don't you get excited about that? That even in our lives, we don't have a right to take offense. And what's worse is that sometimes we'll take offense for somebody else and then taking offense for somebody else, we find ourselves motivated in ways that really dishonor the Lord. Now, stay with me now. There is a difference between looking at something and saying, that's ungodly and it ought not be. There's a difference in that and taking up an offense that causes us to respond to somebody in a way that's not godly. Do we understand that? I know it's early. Do we understand that? Because we all have a responsibility in the body, in truthfulness, to be able to look at behavior, and if it's not of God and it's not right, there is an okay way of holding somebody accountable to that. But in holding somebody accountable, we have to also remember that that person is somebody for whom Jesus died, and they have value. All righty? Now, here's one of the hard things to do. There is accountability in God's love. In the love that the world offers us, folks like to feel like there's no accountability. But there's accountability in God's love. If I tell you I love you with his love, you have a right on the basis of that confession to hold me accountable for what I said. 
Yeah, all right? I know you'll be excited about this. Talking about the body of Christ and how we're viewed out here by the world. You remember telling you about the friend of mine who wrote a book called Those Damn Christians? And it wasn't that he didn't like Christians. He was saying that as he interviewed people in the world, he discovered that they weren't rejecting Jesus because of who Jesus was. They were rejecting Jesus because of the people who said they loved Jesus. And as he saw how they lived, he felt like we needed some accountability in the body of Christ. Okay. So hear me now. This is not playtime in the world today. The world out here is in crisis. And their direction is not going to come from the darkness in order for them to be delivered or saved. Their direction has to come from the house of God, from the people of God. From the people who know Jesus and are led by his spirit. And if we're going to lead people out here into a relationship with Jesus, then we have to get our mess together on the inside the house. All right? Scott will clean this up when he preaches. <laughs> but I'm serious, you guys. We can have all the program when we want. We can plan all the good stuff we can plan. But if we don't love well... We're not only going to disappoint our Father, but we're going to hurt one another. And we're going to hurt the image of our daddy out in the marketplace. So to love well in the house is the challenge for the people of God. Sometimes I go back to the passage of Micah 6.8. Y'all familiar with Micah 6.8, right? What does God require of us, old man? Well, that we should love mercy that we should, what, do rightly, do justly, and that we should walk up rightly or humbly before our God. You know what that says? That says God has an expectation of how his people should live. And the expectation there in Michael 6, 8 is just a powerful thing. That I am to love mercy, and if I love mercy, then I got to love mercy for you, not only just for me. And that if I'm going to expect justice, i got to first be willing to give justice. And if I expect to walk with authority and power in my life, i got to bow my knees before the God of all creation and let him be master of my life. There's expectation and accountability as we walk as Christians. When we come into the house of God, we come in to be changed. There is an expectation that through an encounter with the Most High God, we will be changed. And what changes us is the love of a father who is willing to send his son to die in our place, who on the cross through what he did was saying to the rest of the world, no matter what you do to me, you cannot kill my love for you. I'm going to love you even if you crucify me here on this cross. You cannot kill my love for you. Now, I'm just foolish enough to believe that that's how Daddy wants us to live. 
that I'm going to love you no matter what you say or what you do. Can't kill my love for you. Can you imagine what would happen in our communities if everybody who names the name of Jesus would love each other with that kind of ferocious, almost reckless kind of commitment to one another, loving each other the way we have been loved and truly walk that out with one another and in the world. Can I tell you, I honestly believe that if every Christian you know walked that way, it would radically change this country overnight. So, I'm just sort of beating around this thing of love. I did tell you in the beginning, I didn't know where I was going, didn't I? So you shouldn't be surprised. John has simply said, love one another like you've been loved. When I think of how my daddy loved me, when I was out there doing the things I know I've done, and he never stopped loving me, he even sent a Methodist preacher to me, a West Virginia hillbilly who got on my last nerve when I was serving as his associate pastor, who finally came to me one day and said, your lifestyle is out of the pit of hell, and I ought to fire you. And I'm thinking, okay. And he says, but I'm not going to. I'm going to accept you, and I'm going to love you, and I'm going to walk with you. And I'm convinced that I'm here some 40-some years later preaching the gospel because that man was bold enough to tell me that my behavior and attitude stunk to high heaven, but he wasn't going to allow that to keep him from accepting me and loving me. In the family, we need that kind of tenacious love for one another. A tenacious love that refuses to let each other get away. Love one another like you've been loved. It's kind of beautiful when you read the eighth chapter of Romans and you get down to around verse 31 and you begin to see what the apostle is telling us when he's simply telling us about the love and he simply says this, nothing, nothing in all of creation can separate us from the love of God. In Christ Jesus. And nothing means nothing can separate us. But now, here's the challenge. That same love that he's talking about is the same love that lives in you. And the challenge is that we need to live and love one another in the same way. All right? All right, guys, I'm done. You know, uh, I really feel like I'd like to turn this into a question and answer session um, to see what you're thinking. Um, in fact, I may do that. Has anybody got a question? Anybody got anything that you want to say? You can't say, John, you're crazy. That wouldn't be polite or loving.
Are you trying to tell me something? Uh, whose question? I can't. Oh, there you are. I'm sorry, buddy. You got to remember my eyes are, are kind of dim. Good. Um, I think one of the first, oh gosh, I think one of, y'all can tell I'm a weak thing. They're trying to help me. Um, I think one of the first things that we have to do is um, if we're going to go out and ask God to use us to witness to anybody, I think we have to ask God to, one, give us a love for them that doesn't include judgment. To, now, that doesn't mean that we're going to leave them where we find them, because God never does that. When you embraced him, he didn't leave you where he found you. He started to work in your life, you know. But it's not our job to change them. It's our job to love them. I think one of the things you can do, at least I try to do, I approach everybody, at least I try. I approach everybody I meet having made up my mind that I'm going to love them. And, and I think somehow or the other, as the Holy Spirit goes before you and makes a way for you, that people know when you love them or not. They sense it, I believe. And I believe the Holy Spirit can convict them of that. But I think if you just share your story, you know, how God touched your life, and, and to share that story with them without making judgment on where they are, but always lifting up the love of God that changed your life. There are a number of things that, that can, you know, get involved in witnessing. And, and the truth of the matter is, I would a whole lot rather be on the street telling somebody about Jesus than standing in a pulpit preaching on a Sunday morning. Because I just love to see people get changed and embrace His love. Uh, I don't know if that helps you a lot, but we can... Yeah, and I would encourage you to sit down with somebody, Scott or somebody else, and just ask some questions and let them respond to it. I don't know that I've ever stood in front of a bunch of people on a Sunday morning and drink hot tea, but <laughs> thank you very much. I get you. Thank you for asking that question, because it takes me back to what you guys are into in terms of your study and the, um, this for the month here, is that we have to decide, you know, that we're going to love that person. The only way to do that is for us to connect with God before we respond to that person. I think one of the things that was challenging for me was to learn that by God I'm called not to react to people, but to respond to him first and then ask him to help me respond to the person. I'm not passing that off as easy because there are some people when they hurt you, the last thing you want to do is one, have anything to do with them. And two, you don't want to sit around and talk to them about something that is as precious to you. That's what changed your life. 
And it's hard to love people like that who've hurt you. But I think that is the real opportunity for the love that he's put in us to really show us how powerful it is. To get us to the place where we can, in fact, approach the people who've hurt us with the love of the Father. Because I'm telling you, there are times with some of the people that have hurt me or my family where I have had honestly to love them with the love that he's given me before I could get to the place where I I could honestly say to that person, I really love you, if that makes any sense to you. It's almost like his love's got to change me in that relationship before I can be effective in that relationship. But I think it starts with first connecting with God about it and asking for the help. Because truthfully, when you really, really get hurt by somebody, loving them is not the natural flesh thing that you want to respond with. But you got a daddy who can give you something that will allow you to do that. And you can do it with all honesty. The enemy will come in. Because I had a lady that messed me up in some ways in a church I was pastoring. And um, she would come down almost every Sunday morning. This is not an exaggeration. She would come down almost every Sunday morning, get on her knees and hit the altar. And when I went by, I wanted to smack her right upside the head. Because I know what she did that week. I know what she said. I know how she hurt me and my family. And the last thing I wanted to do was to see this lady at the altar down there making everybody think how spiritual she was. But finally, I had to go to the Lord and say, Lord, I don't like her. I even tried to transfer her to a new church. I really did. I went into my secretary's office, and you can tell this has been a long time ago. I said, give me an envelope and a stamp, 13-cent stamp. That's how long it's been. I'm transferring her down to Trinity Church. And my secretary had enough sense to say to me, Johnny, you can't do that. I said, really? She said, no, you really can't do that. That's how stressed my relationship with her was. And um, it's a long story, but I had an automobile accident. I was driving outside of Jacksonville, ended up hitting an embankment. And uh, my car backed up and hit it again. It was a crazy demon car. It hit it again. (laughs) And so I got glass in my head, and somebody knocking on the window of the car, hollering, preacher, preacher, and I'm thinking, what is this? Anyway, so I get out of the hospital, go home to my house. You know who came by the house every day to read scripture to me? It's that crazy woman. And I even told Betty Joe, do not let her in the house again. But in that time there, the Lord was showing me, Johnny, Johnny, you need to love this woman. She's the same woman when I was smoking. Johnny, don't get into this. Uh, when I was smoking my Marlboro's which I loved, she would pray that my tongue would rot out (laughs) if I didn't quit. True story. Some of the stuff that woman did, but the truth of the matter is I learned how to love her. Not sure I like her a lot even this day. But if she called me on the phone, I'd be in the car headed to Jacksonville because I love her. Does that make any sense to you? All right. Am I all right, Scott? All right. Anybody else got anything here? Oh, yes, ma'am, Alice. 
If you couldn't hear, she was asking, how do you keep believing that your children will come to the Lord while you're loving them and when you don't have the ability to change them and you have to release them to the Lord? Well, you cry a lot. You spend a lot of time battling anger, frustration, and doubt. But the thing that helped me most in my relationship with my older son was that I knew God loved John more than I did. And that God wanted him in his house more than I did. That at some point I had to accept the fact that I simply couldn't change him, couldn't fix him, couldn't keep him safe everywhere he went. I finally had just to release it to the Lord. And those of you who've heard me tell that story about John, I mean, mine came to a real head in my relationship with my son to where I went a block from where I was living because a block from where I was living was where my son was living with this young lady. And, uh, and it's a small community, you know what I mean? And uh, I'm the evangelist, and folks aren't always kind. And so that's when Betty Jo and I went over there in the middle of the night, 2 o'clock in the morning, marched around the house seven times, got out in the middle of the street and screamed and said, Lord Jesus, if you never bring him back to us, bring him to yourself. Because we went to the point where it was more important for him to be right with God than it was for him to be right with us. And um, it wasn't an easy journey. It never is. And the reason it isn't is because you love him. There's some people here that could tell you that story better than I in terms of how God refused to let them go, even when they were willing to let themselves be gone. And when you know that their parents were breaking back home, but God refuses to let them go. And I think what holds them, personally, just my opinion, what holds them are the prayers. The prayers of the saints, the prayers of a mother and daddy. Quick story, then I'm done. Uh, I had just told my son at the time that if he came home from school with the same attitude he left with, I was going to put everything he owned on the porch and he'd have to find another place to live. He came into my office later that day and started to tell me, Dad, it's been hard. You don't know how hard it's been. And I said, excuse me, if you want to talk about how hard it's been on your mama, how hard it's been on me, how hard it's been on your brother and sister, we can talk, but I don't want to hear your mess. And he said, Dad, I'm trying to tell you I'm sorry. I said, cool, I can deal with that. <clears throat> he left, the phone rang. It was a lady named Ann Keel who said, did anything significant happen in John's life today? And I said, well, yeah. She said, well, I, you know, I've been praying. The Lord told me to pray for seven days for a spirit of rebellion to be cast out of John, and today's the seventh day. So I'm convinced it's praying people who love them enough to pray and stay steadfast. That's a big part in it. So it's just not simple, Alison. You know that. Oh, we all right? Y'all are good to me. I got a good-looking guy back there. Got a pretty woman next to you, too, brother. Told to tell you that. <clears throat> yeah, go ahead. You got something? You got a question? <laughs> I love you, man. You are good to me. 
If you ever get excited about praying drums again, please talk to Scott. I love that. Anybody else? Look, this has been a little different, uh, but then we are all a little different. <laughs> Don't you think? I mean, if you, ask, if you ask anybody what goes on out at Liberty, <laughs> some folk will tell you all kinds of things. But this is what we do. We learn to love well, and we learn to love wisely, and we stay committed to him, to one another. That's really what it's kind of all about. Okay? All right, let me pray, and I'm done. Yeah, okay. Let's pray. Let's say, big boy. Father, we sure love you. Thank you for this opportunity to, uh, to be with you and to love one another and to invite your Holy Spirit into our lives to strengthen and empower us for the journey. Thank you for loving us and thank you for teaching us to love one another well. We love you, Lord. Thank you for the cross, for your shed blood. Father, thank you for loving us in this way. Holy Spirit, help yourself to us. Every one of us here this morning, Father, has areas of need, places where we need to grow. Uh, so help yourself to us. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Have a great day. Go love somebody.